1: What are the most successful change leaders of today doing to deliver great results? Welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program is produced by the Institute for Transformational Leadership at Georgetown University. We'll explore the inner game of transformational leadership, sharing insights from renowned leaders and faculty from our world-class leadership and coaching programs. Now, from Georgetown University, here is Kate Ebner.
0: Good morning and welcome to Inside Transformational Leadership. You know, this show is extremely well-timed. I know from first-hand experience that this was the weekend where many, many high school seniors got news about their acceptance to colleges. And today we're going to be talking about the future of higher education and what it actually means for students. My guest today is Jeff Salingo, who is an award-winning columnist and author. He's written extensively about higher education today and the future of higher education. Um, Jeff was formerly the top editor at the Chronicle of Higher Education, and he has been the founding director of the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership, which is a joint venture of Arizona State University and Georgetown University, and its aim is actually to help prepare leaders for this new um disrupted world of higher education today. Um, welcome, Jeff. I'm so glad you're with me this morning.
2: It's great to be here, Kate.
0: Well, I, you know, I think that the idea of the four-year college experience is as American as apple pie, as, as you say, um, and so is the belief that education is really the key, the ticket to a better life in this country. It, it has always been that way, and yet we have massive challenges and lots of new kinds of opportunities today. We have a student loan debt that's surpassing the $1 trillion mark and lots of new ways of learning and accessing education. And I know this is creating quite a lot of um, disruptive change in higher education at colleges and universities around the country. Um, Jeff, I wanted to just start off by inviting you to, to talk a little bit about what's really happening in higher ed today. If you could just kind of sketch the an outline for us, we'll go from there.
2: Well, I think there's a lot of issues. I mean, one of the great things that we've been able to do in the U.S., especially since post-World War II, but especially since the 1970s with the decline of of manufacturing has increased access uh, to higher education. So there's a enrollment in colleges and universities uh, over the last decade actually grew by a third, which means that there are many more students going to college than ever before. Uh, But at the same time, fewer of them are actually graduating, so only about a half a number of students who start college get their bachelor's degree after six years, um, so not even four years after after six years. And so we have a, a growing crisis in this country, not necessarily of college access, but more so about getting the degree. And when you look at uh, jobs, job postings, uh, kind of for almost any job these days. No one ever asks for, you know, some college. They ask for a degree. That's the signal to the job market um, that you're ready, some sort of credential, whether it's a four-year degree or a two-year degree. And, and right now, I think the biggest problem facing colleges and universities or facing the U.S. economy as well is that many students start college but don't finish it. And uh, as a result, they're in debt. Uh, they have some credit, no degree. In some ways, they're worse off than a high school graduate in in, in today's uh, job market it. Um, and it's a real big problem, I think, in, in terms of, of trying to figure out this future where we know that we need a more educated society, not a less uh, educated society.
0: You know, you make, you make some very important points. And, you know, I think that um, for those listening to really take in the idea that it's, you know, people are going on to gain higher education, but not necessarily completing, and then ending up with the worst of all worlds, um, the debt and not the degree that's looked at as a key credential for uh, entering the job market or or for um, moving forward, you know, and advancing professionally. And I'm curious. I mean, I'm, as you know, an, an enormous advocate of the liberal arts, and I think about that four-year college experience and my own experience, which was at Middlebury College up in Vermont. And I know from hearing you talk and, and seeing your work that, this um, this old idea of the four-year college, the undergraduate experience, uh, liberal arts or university-based, has really changed, and that that actually the realities of of who are today's students and what kinds of education that are they seeking, that's also really shifted. Even though we haven't necessarily updated our our nostalgic way of looking at this, um, could you just give us a, a bit of a view of um, of, of what, what's really happening in terms of, of education, both at the undergraduate and perhaps at the graduate level?
2: It's a great question. I mean, uh, you're right. I mean, we tend to have this ho- what I call the Hollywood version uh, of American higher education kind of cemented in our minds um, from both TV shows and, and movies, which show, you know, traditional Ivy-covered campuses, you know, the campus quad, students studying on the campus quad, you know, dorm life, um, and, and we think of college as a place you go to at 18, spend four years there and leave um, with your bachelor's degree and and for that's probably reality for only about 20% of American higher education students today. Um, The reality for most students, for 80% of them, is that they, uh, first of all, are older than 18. Um, So most uh, uh, undergraduates are actually in their 20s today. Um, They're returning to school uh, after having dropped out or having not gone at all. Uh, They don't go to school necessarily full-time and don't necessarily live on campus as we think of that residential uh, experience. So they're going part-time and working at the same time. Uh, 80% of them go to public colleges uh, and universities. Um, We tend to focus, I think, a lot in this country, especially the news media on private colleges and universities, you know the Stanfords of the world and the Harvards of the world and Middleberries of the world, but for most Americans their world is really the local community college which um educate about half of uh, college students today, Um, so two-year local community colleges or, you know, the flagship uh, universities or regional public colleges, which are uh, in every corner of almost every state um, across the country. So that's the reality, and I think sometimes we need to remember that um, that is the reality for most American students and not the one that we see most often in today's movies and TV shows.
0: Yes, you know, that... that, um, that
2: that romantic
0: ideal is is so strongly out there, and I mentioned as I was opening our show today that you know I have a, a daughter who's a senior in high school, and this was the weekend that <laughs> everybody was hearing from lots of schools and lots of excitement, lots of disappointment, and some uh, sobering realities. I think as um, families got news of um, yeses and nos and the price tag that is associated, you know, the amount of financial aid that perhaps was given or is um, being offered. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, when families are really facing tough tough choices about um, how to go about getting their children educated and doing it in a way that prepares them for the future. And it just seems right now that it's not clear, you know, that, that, that question, you know, is, is it worth the debt that our family will take on? is it a college diploma still worth pursuing at any price? And I know I'm diving into all the big questions here right off the bat this morning, but, but I'm, I'm just so struck by how, how um, non-rhetorical that question is. <laughs> this is a kitchen table question that people are having right now. Uh,
2: you know, there's no doubt about it if you look at any statistic um, that, uh, you know, students that going to college is worth it. Um, The question is, is going to any college at any cost worth it? And I think that's the key question we should be asking. Um, There are a number of lower-cost options. You know, we keep hearing the... You know, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars a year. That's at you know the most elite colleges in the country, um, or even non-elite colleges. You know, elite colleges tend to give out a lot of financial aids, and very few people who have need actually pay those prices. But people do go into debt. You know, the average debt of a of a college graduate today is around um, thirty thousand dollars. But a lot of students uh, don't graduate with any debt. Um, about forty percent of students today graduate with no debt, and they go to local community colleges or public colleges um, which are you know much more expensive than they were ten years ago but are, are definitely reasonable um, so I think the key is people should not be turned off um by the price tag uh uh but they should definitely think about how they're going to finance this um and they should think about uh you know going to the best least expensive option there is um i don't think necessarily going to the uh most expensive school is necessarily a sign of quality uh and and especially if you don't graduate on time so it's, it's it's important to look at a number of different factors. You know, are you going to graduate on time? Uh, You know, what kind of job are you probably going to get? What's your major um, going to be? You know, what's their job placement rate for majors like that? What kind of debt are you going to have after um, graduation? But at the end of the day, I don't think it should be a choice about going or not going because, again, if you look at any economic studies, uh, not going is is not a great decision these days um, from a a quality of life standpoint. standpoint.
0: Yeah. Go and complete is really the message I'm hearing from you. Um, You know, uh, I mean, Jeff, as we we think about this, I mean, one of the things that I have observed over the past couple of years up close is the stress that kids feel as they try to figure out their future and which school and, you know, especially in um, places like Washington, D.C., where I live, and where I think there's a, a, a population that's very, very much focused on the what, what are viewed as the top schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious. I know you've um, done quite a lot of work looking at the the great credential race, as, as I think you've called it, um, that of colleges and universities really trying to get the ratings and the reports that really drive enrollment. And I wonder if you could just give us. Uh, has an inside look at you know what do those ratings really mean and when we talk about the best affordable option how do we know how do we know which schools are really the best
2: Be- before I answer that kid I, I want to just add one thought to the- to the last one to the last question and answer you said go and complete and um I think the the thing about going is you don't necessarily have to go at 18. I think this is a pretty important. You're talking about the race and, and the focus on you know getting into the right college. I, I'm actually a much bigger fan now of, of taking gap years if you're kind of unsure about what you want to do. Um, this is not part of the American culture. We seem to think that three months after you graduate from high school, you should go right on to college. But I'm working on a, another book right now looking at post-college um, options for students. And I'm meeting a lot of people in their mid-20s. 20s who are kind of what I call drifters or wanderers. They're not quite sure about what they want to do, and and many of them felt that way even at 18, um, and they weren't quite sure what they wanted to do, and they ended up at college. They they switched majors a couple of times. They didn't do the internships they probably should have done, and then they entered a, a terrible job market um, and couldn't really find a job because there were so many other students kind of ahead of them who kind of knew exactly what they wanted to do. Um, I'm not saying you need to know exactly what you want to do when you go to college, but if you maybe take a year off or two years off and, and work and do other types of experiences, service learning or other things, you might have a, uh, a better idea when you actually go. Um, so it's something I think um, people should should think about. And then in terms of where to go in terms of the ratings, you're right. I mean, the, There is no great you know, U.S. News & World Report, which is probably the most famous rating out there for U.S. institutions, doesn't tell you the best institution that you're going to get high-quality teaching. It tells you uh, really what uh, institutions have the best inputs. In other words, which, which institutions, which colleges, you know, uh, attracted the most highly qualified candidates in terms of SAT scores or class rank or high school GPA, which institutions spend the most money on their faculty, whether it's in terms of faculty pay or faculty research, uh, what institutions where the alumni have donated more money than other institutions. It tells you very little, little about what happens when student a comes in the door on day one and leaves on commencement day what did that institution do for that student kind of what i call the the value add um there are no ratings out there unfortunately that tell you that um and that's the biggest problem i think facing higher ed um so we kind of go on these brand names without really realizing what they actually do for you
0: yeah i think that's that's a well put you know and and um you know part of what seems to add to the angst around higher education um today you know is is the uh the sense that um you know we absolutely want to educate our children we need to find a way to do it that doesn't um you know cost us more than we can afford and we need to make choices about that that are informed and yet it's very hard to sometimes to to gather a perspective um schools seem very similar or they seem you know, radically different and, and, and understanding that in the context of of a young person um, can be really challenging. I like your suggestion about taking time after graduating, you know, for a gap year or perhaps a semester off before starting school because of all of the perspective and life experience that students can gain. And I know that that is becoming, you know, more and more of an attractive option um, Jeff, we're going to take a break in, in a moment or two, um, but I wanted to ask you, um, you know, as, as we're talking about this, you've been in this field for a long time, really following the higher education, and I'm curious, uh, sort of on a personal note, what is it that drew you to higher ed as, as a focus
2: you know, it's just it's kind of a fascinating um, place to, to follow. I'm a journalist by training, and so uh, you know, I, I've always looked for good stories and interesting personalities, and, and higher ed has, has both of them. But but more so than anything, it is um, it is uniquely uh, it's unique around the world in being seen as the um, uh, you know the driver of social mobility. Um, and, and really it's the, um, it's what did it for my father um, whose father didn't go to college who was a coal miner my father became a school teacher I then went to college and you know I am who I am today uh, largely because of that and so you know stories abound uh, about that around, around the US and around the world about um, the social mobility that uh, the college ladder provided um, to folks and, and I think that's seriously under question right now um, not only in the US but around the world and, uh, and to me me, that is—that's um, a question for our, you know, our society right now, and for our time. And and to me, that's a great story. And as a result, that's that's kind of why I, I, I want to be part of this.
0: Well, you have certainly been a been a really important voice for um, our country in terms of the issues that you've tracked, the the writing you've done, um, your book College Unbound: The Future of Higher Education and What It Means for Students is a book that really looks at these shifts and changes in higher education. And I know you sort of turned a critical eye to looking at the state of affairs, but also talked a lot about technology and went on to write another book, MOOC U, Who is Getting the Most Out of Online Education and Why? And MOOC U is a book that's helping us all understand this opportunity to to learn online through these massive open online courses, MOOCs. And and so you've been diving deeply into the technology enhancements that are really changing the classroom experience and changing where and how we're learning. Um, And now it sounds like you're deep into a a book looking at those options um, before college or university and after high school. And so, you know, I just want to draw some attention to the, the breadth of what you've contributed, I think, to the discussion, Jeff. And I'm thinking when we come back from the break, it would be very interesting to hear you talk about um, the disruption that's going on in higher ed and how you are preparing people to lead in, into the future of higher education. What do today's leaders in higher education actually have to know and be good at? We'll be right back after the break. This is Kate Ebner. My guest today, Jeff Salingo, is author, journalist, and um, Leading thinker on the future of higher education. We'll be right back. <music>
1: Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll free, 866 472 5790. 866 472 5790. Voice America Business Network. Founded in 2012, the Institute for Transformational Leadership, ITL, is an international center for inquiry experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified Advanced Coach Education Master Courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. Email ITLprograms at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. up-to-date business and financial news call now and get the financial information you need 866-472-5790 866-472-5790 the experts are here voice america business network you are listening to inside transformational leadership produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
0: Welcome back once again. My guest today, Jeff Salingo, has been thinking, writing, and provoking us to think about higher education through the course of his career. Jeff has really uh, contributed a body of work, including um, the book College Unbound, um, another book called Luke U, which has just come out, really uh, showing us where higher education is turning and making the case that higher education is broken. We have been talking about what it's like from the perspective of families, considering their opportunities, um, students trying to figure out whether or not to take on the debt to pursue their education. And I, I think, Jeff, you gave us a great discussion and set of thoughts about that in the first segment. I'd like to actually turn to take another angle on this topic of the future of higher education and talk about it from the perspective of the universities and colleges themselves. Um, when we think about what's really happening inside higher education, Jeff, what are the what are the issues that university presidents and provosts and deans are facing?
2: Well, it's, uh, really, for most institutions, with the exception of probably about 200, and there are about 4,000 institutions in the country, so just to give you some context, there's a lot of colleges and universities in the, in the U.S., and for all, but about 200 of them. I think they're all facing kind of a, a future of uh, somewhat financial instability, and many of them are trying to figure out, okay, what's our role? Um, you know, we, we, we basically educated this huge group of, of, of returning vets after World War II, and then this huge Huge group of baby boomers uh, after that, and then of course we just came off a, a baby boom echo um, in the in the beginning of this new uh, millennium. And now they're trying to figure out: okay, with rising costs, uh, questions about the return, the exact return on investment of colleges. What's our role? And uh, and most college presidents say the average age of a college president is sixty-two, um, and so we're going to see a wave of retirements in higher education over the next uh, ten years. And uh, and I think for this next generation of leaders, um, they're trying to think, are we going to face a future like other um is, uh, other industries, whether it was the music industry, the publishing industry, the newspaper industry, the, you know, uh, is, you know, are we going to be uh, facing a competitor like Uber uh, that is uh, where the taxi cabs in cities are facing? You know, what's going to be our Uber moment? Uh, as I think many of them are are, are thinking about. Uh, and so, again, for for almost all institutions, they're trying to figure out what their role in this in this new world of, of information is going to be.
0: Those sound like uh big questions um and and I think you know again just listening to you to frame them up, you know the financial model um the the impact of technology on higher ed, um the turnover of all of these college and university presidents, and the you know who, you know the sort of a question of who will lead in addition to what is it that we're leading and where are we going, you know, kind of a, a vision question. Um, and I, I'd love to just um, break that down a little bit and talk more about, um, let's, let's just take, um, let's take the, the business models, you know, what are some of the schools that are really creating innovation um, in order to survive and thrive as educational institutions? What are, what are some places that are doing some new things?
2: Well, there's a number of, uh, you know, small liberal arts colleges, we talked about them earlier, um, that I think are facing a lot of pressure to be relevant in the uh, 21st century. Um, I'm actually a big fan of, of the liberal arts because I think it provides a great foundation for a world that is changing constantly. You know, the jobs of 10 years from now, we have no idea what they're going to be. So to train people to do those jobs, it's impossible. Uh, today, so that's why I'm a big fan of of the Labarts. As a result, and you see places like Davidson uh, College in, in North Carolina, and Franklin and Marshall uh, College, and St. Olaf in Minnesota, and Franklin and Marshall, as I said, in, in Pennsylvania, where they're looking at the connections between what they're doing in that four year residential experience and post college. They really they really want students to have what they call agency to have um, to have decision making over their careers and lives, and to be given the tools um, in college to help do that and they want those students to have impact after college and so they don't just say goodbye to these students on graduation day but all of them have put in place programs over the last couple of years to make connections for five and ten years beyond college because they believe that helping those students launch is incredibly important to the overall value of the liberal arts education. At the other end of the spectrum you have places like Arizona State um, where I'm a Professor of Practice, which has about 70,000 students um, face-to-face and another 20,000 online. Um, it's one of the largest single campuses in the, in the U.S. today, and, and they look at it at scale. While, you know, places like Davidson, you know, educate about a couple thousand students a year, uh, uh, Arizona State's looking at the complete opposite end, where they feel like we have a We have an issue in this country with a growing population, uh, particularly students from low-income families having difficulty now getting into college or, more important, completing college. Um, And they're looking at how you could blend the um, face-to-face experience of the residential model um, with technology. Um, and so they are really pressing technology in new ways, not to replace people, um, not to replace professors, but to where can technology be used where it actually improves student performance and student outcomes, um, and where can people be used to really help guide those students along. Um, so those are just some of the institutions that I think, again, at two ends of the spectrum that are pretty, uh, that are pretty innovative now in, in, in thinking about the future.
0: Those are great examples and and you know very different examples but um as as you describe them, it strikes me how relevant their solutions are to what's happening in our world and I think of the millennial graduates right now who are looking for work and who are making that um transition into the workforce or perhaps have been in the workforce and continue to need um, perspective and support and network as they get going and I really like that innovation around thinking of it not as four years but as a relationship over time. And I think, you know, to, to your other example, you know, how do we make education available? How do we get students in a position to complete, um, particularly those who may be um, coming from underserved or undersupported populations? And so it's a, it's a w- wonderful examples. You, you talked uh, you touched on technology, and I'm I'm interested because I know that um, you know I, I know that at Georgetown we're always <laughs> studying the question of um, how to move with the times, how to bring innovation and technology into our teaching, how to use it to give access to people who um, can't necessarily come to Washington D.C. to learn, but also how to compete and make sure that we don't lose students to lower cost alternatives that are coming available through. Um, online learning options. And so, this, uh, I'd love to hear you talk for a moment about how technology is helping us innovate, maybe also disrupting old models.
2: Um, well, uh, I think. Partially, it's through teaching and learning. Uh, so uh, there's there's a big focus right now, not necessarily on online-only education, but using technology to supplement what happens in a, in a face-to-face classroom. So a lot of focus at most colleges and universities around what's called flipping the classroom. So there is so you don't walk into a classroom these days and watch a, a professor lecture for 45 minutes or 50 minutes uh, and then go home or, and take a test or go home. You're now watching that lecture kind of on your own time. and uh, and then interacting much more with the professor and you're probably not meeting as often. So you're doing more work outside the classroom again on your own time and on your own speed, because most of us learn in, in different ways and at, at different speeds. Uh, there's a lot more uh, technology being used to um, analyze and track students. So again, everybody learns at different speeds. So what can we learn? You know, what what pieces of information are giving more students trouble? So uh, a lot of courses now are recorded. they they're like lec- the lectures are captured. Um, so we give we could get a sense of what students are um, watching over and over again, and that might mean something to the professor. Wow, everybody is watching this three-minute clip, you know, 20 times. That means that they're having trouble understanding that. Uh, so there's there's technology, which I call the technology-enabled uh, education, where it doesn't, again, replace individual professors but uh, helps them perform um, better. Um, and then there's a whole area now that's growing in higher ed around what we call data analytics. Um, so just think of how... You sign on to Amazon or you sign on to Netflix and they kind of know, um, they make suggestions on other books you should buy or other videos you should rent based on your previous behavior um, and based on the behavior of the crowd um, as a whole. And the same thing is happening in higher ed. So we now know, you know, based again on student performance, uh, you know, what majors, what courses you're going to do better in based on your previous experience. That doesn't necessarily mean you can't major in whatever you want or take whatever courses you want, but you now have uh more context uh, for what you're going to uh, to do in, in the future and, and again, in the end, I think this will help um, this is where technology could help student success.
0: and And um, you know, you you've written extensively about um, about MOOCs. Could you talk a little bit about how you know could you explain for our listeners what a MOOC is first of all and how it's part of this picture?
2: Um, so a MOOC is a massive open online course, um, and, uh, it is, um, uh, it, 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 so, you know there's always been online courses of course and um and and basically what happened is about 3 or 4 years ago uh, a couple of professors from Stanford University uh, decided to put their artificial intelligence course online for free and open it up to the masses um online uh and so there wasn't any course registration you didn't have to pay for it um and at the end of the day about 150,000 people signed up for it now Only about 20,000 of them completed the course, but uh, what this set off was kind of a worldwide phenomenon of of elite colleges putting their courses up for free, um, which is a whole other question about why they would do that. Um, But but what is interesting to me is this enabled people from around the world to view lectures, view readings, um, and the syllabus for these courses uh, based on their own interests. So when I did this book, one of the things I found was that most of the people Taking these MOOCs um, were. St- people with college degrees who needed to learn, you know, brush up on something they had in undergraduate years and they couldn't quite remember or they needed to get ahead in their jobs uh, or they were just kind of intellectually curious and uh, and they wanted to take these courses. So they didn't really want to take these courses for a credential and most of these courses don't carry a credential because you're not paying for them. But it, it enables us to um, serve what I think is a growing audience uh, around the world for just-in-time life education. You know, we've talked about lifelong education forever. Um, but the idea that, uh, but it's now here in my mind, you know, the idea that you go to college kind of once or twice in your life, usually very early in your life is over um, because of the changes in the economy and the rapid development of knowledge around the world. Uh, it's going to require us to essentially always be educated, um, but not necessarily go back to a physical school and spend two years there, or four years there. And, you know, we could watch a lecture while we're waiting in line at the supermarket. We could take a course, you know, in our pajamas at night. Uh, so I think that that's where MOOCs kind of fit into this larger ecosystem uh, of all different kinds of providers, both colleges and universities and others, to provide this education to help people kind of stay ahead or get ahead in their in their lives.
0: You know, it's, it's exciting. Actually, just I mean, I, I I know how excited people are who are, have taken these online courses. I think of some of my coaching clients who are organizational leaders but taking. A class in physics or astrology or something that they're really interested in that has nothing to do with what they're doing today, but perhaps has something to do with a deep interest or a passion or a path that they would like to follow. Um, and you know, it, it's uh, it's a there's some real excitement and innovation happening in terms of how and where we learn. I really appreciate your point that we're actually in a in a world where people can and are pursuing education as a lifelong path versus a Get a degree and then done. Um, and I wonder, you know, as we as we think about higher education today, you've done a great job of explaining how it's changed from that romantic Hollywood idea that perhaps still is out there in some places. Um, I'm curious, Jeff. You know, as, as you as you look at this picture, you know, it's clear that that the world of higher education is dramatically different than it was you know 20 years ago um, what do university leaders
2: who are really
0: uh, operating at the frontier you know what do you what would you say they're thinking about or, or what's their attitude toward all this change
2: <laughs> um, great question uh, uh, it's it's uh uh, two, twofold. I think if they're about to retire, they're like, "Okay, I hope I can hang on." Um, <laughs> or if they're not, uh, I think to be honest with you, they have their heads in the sand and are thinking, "You know what? Higher ed has gone through down periods before, and they, it has um, usually uh, uh, subsequent to the economy um, going downhill or the or demographics ch- demographic changes, and it's come back." And I think many people think. We are just in a lull, and uh, and things are going to come back. And here's the problem. Uh, we've been kind of in this down period since 2008. Um, so we're coming up on, you know, eight years of this, and this is probably the longest period that higher ed has been down. And so that's why I think we're in the midst of, of permanent changes. And on top of that, you know, we have these technological changes that we have talked about, um, and which has opened up all these new providers for students and new ways of getting uh, education, and the cost has continued to rise. So we have all these pressures, I think, Bearing down on higher education that make this very different from past um, from past uh, downturns in in the higher education market. But I still think that even after all these years, even after eight plus years essentially of this of the downturn we're in now, um, that most college leaders still don't get it. Hmm
0: and 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 you said head stuck in the sand in and, and by that you mean that um we're sort of trusting the traditional way of doing things um we sort of keep on doing what we know how to do but do it even better versus really um really maybe picking up one's head and looking at the landscape and saying okay this is a different landscape
2: Okay, it reminds me so much of my, my old industry, the, the newspaper industry, in the late nineteen nineties. The internet had just come out, and we all thought, "Well, we're a public trust; everyone's going to want to get a print newspaper." Sure, there's these things that are you know you could read on a computer. Um, we just didn't believe it. You know, we just didn't believe that change was coming. And now, look at ten years later. You know, people read newspapers on devices as small as an iPhone today, um, and the employment in the newspaper industry is about half of what it was in in the year two thousand. Um, so uh, we've seen this play out before in other industries, and I think the same thing is going to happen in in higher ed over the next 10 years.
0: Thank you so much, Jeff. This is Kate Ebner. I'm talking with Jeff Salingo, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, Jeff, I'd like to talk about how an industry emerges from a disrupted period into innovation and hopefully new models. We'll be right back.
1: is an international center for inquiry, experiential education, and research about leadership in the 21st century. Our mission is to develop worldwide communities of transformational leaders and leadership coaches who are dedicated to engaging and providing the leadership needed for a more sustainable and compassionate future. We currently offer two cohort-based certificate programs, the ICF Accredited Certificate in Leadership Coaching and the Executive Certificate in Transformational Leadership. We also offer a range of ICF-certified advanced coach education master courses for experienced leadership coaches. For more information about our programs and how to apply, visit scs.georgetown.edu forward ITL. Email programs at georgetown.edu or call 202-687-7000. listening to Inside Transformational Leadership, produced by Georgetown University's Institute for Transformational Leadership. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please send an email to itlprograms at georgetown.edu. Here again is your host, Kate Ebner.
0: I'm glad you've joined us today. My guest, Jeff Salingo, is one of the most respected observers of American higher education. He's a best-selling author and award-winning columnist. He's a regular contributor to the Chronicle of Higher Education and the Washington Post. He's also a professor of practice at Arizona State University. Jeff has been working on a program called the Academy for Innovative Higher Education Leadership as a joint venture between Arizona State and Georgetown University. And the students in this program are... Aspiring university leaders, um, future college and university presidents, provosts, um, current deans, and provosts who are really interested in getting their minds around some of the challenges that Jeff was describing before we took our break. And we wanted to talk for a moment about um, the kind of leadership needed in an industry that is um, highly disrupted, uh, ripe for innovation and perhaps has a lot of leaders whose heads are still in the sand, to use our our, uh, phrase from before. Um, So, Jeff, let's talk for a moment about the academy that you've created and the goals that you had in creating that.
2: Well, you know, I saw this this trend that we talked about earlier. You know, the number of, of leaders probably about to retire in, in higher education, average age being sixty two, and at many of the leading institutions, even older than that. And so, the, we were going to have this generational change happening in higher ed. And there's no deliberate uh, training in higher education uh, to have these top jobs. Everybody always asks me, what "Was required to be a college president in, in in higher education?" And most likely, it's a it's a PhD most times, but. You don't have to go through a a formal training program. There's no MBA school Um, uh, like there is for corporate uh, CEOs. Many people travel through the provost's office, through the chief academic officer before they become president. And they're really kind of unprepared, I think, in my mind. And as I talk to more presidents, they're really unprepared for the changes going, uh, undergoing or happening right now in in higher education. And and they were kind of prepared for the higher education of, of last decade or two decades ago, not for what's about to. Come. And so the, the goal for the Academy for Innovative Leadership was not to train somebody on how to be a college president. Um, there's actually many programs out there that lead to degrees or certificates in that area uh, that are much more tactical, but was to be much more strategic um, and focused in four areas in particular, uh, change leadership um, being one of them, uh, financial sustainability being a, a, a second, a third, teaching and learning in the digital age, and then fourth. Um, kind of external factors to success, so really looking at changes in public policy and internationalization and demographics and how they're going to impact um, how they're going to impact uh, uh, the future of, of higher education.
0: And and so, you know, lo- I, I love your description, you know, a program that's focused on um, I suppose really helping people lift up their heads and think strategically and embrace the kinds of questions and issues that are right here and right now for universities and colleges, and so I know you have the first cohort running right now, and the, in fact, the way that you and I have met is in collaboration around this particular program, and I'm curious, as you've um, engaged the conversation with um, participants from universities around the country, you know, what's been the response?
2: Uh, it's been great um you know we we have a pilot group this year so we have 24 um uh, fellows in the program uh, this year from all different kinds of institutions mostly at the senior level you know we're looking for people who are kind of in the middle of their career who probably will move into top leadership positions within the next uh, 5 years but not necessarily in any in all cases they are in jobs today where they could have immediate impact. Um, but the key we're looking for and the key, I think, for this first class of fellows is that they're all entrepreneurial in some way, right? They're all within their own campuses, within their own disciplines, within their own jobs. They're getting things done um, in, in terms of rethinking uh, the future. And so the response has been um, great. Uh, I think that, again, it has allowed people to um, pick up their heads to see what's happening, not only at other institutions, but one of the things that we've really tried to do um, through the work of you and your group is to have you know leadership coaching. Um, so much more of a focus on on how um, you become a, a, a leader and the skills of leadership. Uh, we've focused on design thinking, um, which is really kind of a foreign concept uh, to uh, to uh, folks in, in higher education, and have uh, not only introduced that concept to them, but have Taken them through various challenge exercises, uh, leadership design exercise or design exercises, uh, and then finally we have looked outside of higher education. So, have brought people in from the healthcare industry or the military uh, to look at how these other industries and other sectors of the economy uh, have dealt with some of the same changes that higher education is is facing right now.
0: Well, I know I know from observing the classroom that. Um it's been an amazing experience for these—I um, want to call them students, but really they're very distinguished um, academic leaders <laughs> and students, lifelong learners, I suppose. But coming together, they've—they've uh, they've certainly loved the new ideas and the exposure to this um, leading edge that you've been giving them, and, and I think access to other industry leaders who are able to share from their experiences. Uh, But I know that one thing they've also really loved is being together as a community, able to talk and connect and and have conversation about topics and issues that they may not find time for or people who share the same challenges um, in their own institutions. So there's been a great uh, cohort kind of community of learning developing out of your first cohort, wouldn't you say?
2: Oh, there's definitely uh, that uh, that.
0: You know, higher ed
2: gets together a lot. Um, they have a lot of conferences and a lot of meetings, but people tend to meet within their own disciplines, within their own schools or types of schools. And one of the interesting things about the the cohort, the pilot cohort we're running now, is we have a mix between publics and privates, all different regions of the country, and all different types of jobs on campus. They're all in senior leadership positions, but you know, we have some folks who are in uh, within a specific school as a dean or associate dean, others who are overseeing in Entire institution as a uh, chief academic officer. Some who are seen overseeing the business side, uh, and and that really helps when you bring them all together in a, in a cohort like this, where they can learn from each other, not only from each other's positions within a university, but from each other's university.
0: Yeah, it's really it's it's fascinating to see, and one one thing that I've come to appreciate watching the the learning process in the classroom. Is um, how much they have in common in terms of really having the question um, what do I need to get my, my mind around in order to lead into the future? And, and how do these issues directly affect my campus and my university? And what I see is that, that there's a, you know, that different institutions face different challenges and issues. And there's a lot of diversity around those issues. On the other hand, there's a common thread, which is, um, you know, given my context, the context of my university in, in this larger picture of what's happening in higher ed, how do I return with some knowledge and some perspective and capable of actually leading change in my institution? So the leadership piece is a very strong theme, and not just leadership in the abstract, but how do, I, how, do, how do I become capable of influencing the future of my institution? Um, as a leadership coach, you know, I've been very inspired by the commitment of the, the participants in the program and, and uh, kind of excited about the creativity that I see as they think about their institutions. Um, so where are you going with this program, Jeff? As you, as you look to the future, what do you hope to create here?
2: Um, what I really hope to create is a um, is a community of, of future leaders in, in higher education, not only future leaders but current leaders, and I really want this group to continue to learn from each other, and obviously it will grow over time. Um, we're going to have two cohorts of about 25, 30 uh, fellows in each one uh, next year, and so if we keep growing that, um, we eventually take it uh, internationally perhaps. Uh, we can have a community of, of people around the world who are committed to change and innovation in higher ed, uh, and, and I think this, the, the impact of this could be twofold. One is um, not only on their current jobs, but I hear over and over again from search committees who are looking for leadership, who are looking for leaders at their universities, whether they're looking for new deans or they're looking even for new presidents, they have nowhere to turn to look for this next generation of, of leaders. Um, you know, they, they can look at the same markers on a, on a CV or a resume, you know, well, did they have all the right jobs and we'll take a chance on the person, you know, especially if they worked at institutions that we think of as, uh, as innovative. But, but I would love to have this program be something that puts a halo around people in a way that, that makes them, uh, kind of sought after, um, as, uh, as potential leaders, if that's what they want. Um, you know if they want to go on to bigger and better positions at other institutions, this would be a pathway um, for them to do that. So it's I see it as twofold. one more personal to their own careers, and one, that's also an incredible resource for their own institutions where they are at right now.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things that you're really offering that is um, invaluable is the opportunity to to see the world around you. And put your institution into that context and understand then where, what might be a starting point or a strategic choice that would be advantageous to you, your institution. And I, I think sometimes, Jeff, that you just have to get away from your own community sometimes to see, to see it and to see it in relief and to see it through fresh eyes. Um, I see a whole lot of that happening in your program.
2: Yes, and I think, again, I think you're absolutely right. I think, again, lifting up your head, figuring out what you need to learn, uh, meeting in this kind of community of like-minded, not like-minded necessarily, but people who are really committed to the idea of of, of innovation and entrepreneurship in, in higher education. And I think all those things together really help um, help this program in the end.
0: Yeah, I think so. You know, one of the things that has been really rewarding for um, those of us uh, from the Georgetown coaching community who are a part of this program is really been seeing, um, you know, being able to connect our leadership curriculum with uh, sort of frontier issues in a highly disrupted field like higher education. So, in other words, these uh, individuals have had a chance to think together in a very innovative way about what's happening in the field of higher education and the leadership component. In other words, what does this have to do with me and my institution and how do I go back and influence change and be a leader of a, a toward a future that is desirable given all this disruption? How do, how do we get on top of this? I've really loved seeing how um, that combination of a leadership curriculum, leadership coaching, and deep uh, engagement with these these key strategic issues have been valuable for the students in the program. And I, I'm glad we're talking about it because I know the program is new. This was a pilot and that you really have an intention to uh, build, build this community of leaders over time. And I hope that for those of you who are listening, you may know someone, um, perhaps at your alma mater or perhaps in your institution, who you'd like to recommend to this program. Jeff, if somebody wanted to learn more, where would they go?
2: Uh, the easiest thing is to go to uh, georgetown.asu.edu, um, which kind of gives uh, you the complete uh, 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 picture of the uh, of the model of the program and detailed uh, details on the curriculum and, and so forth.
0: Great, and and um, you know, Jeff, as we come to the end of our time on the, on the conversation, we've we've covered a lot of ground. Um, any any parting thoughts for our listeners about? You know, I suppose we should talk for very briefly about the opportunity. What's the opportunity at hand for higher education?
2: Well, the opportunity is great. I, I always remind people that the enterprise of higher education is stronger than ever. Um, think about it, right? Uh, more people around the world want and desire um, a post-secondary education than any time before in, in human history. Um, but the industry that's serving that enterprise, I think, is the one that's in, in trouble right now. Um, the one that has has um, grown up, in, particularly in the U.S., um, over the last uh, few centuries, um, is the one that is really struggling right now so I, I think it's gr- it's a great time to be in higher ed because again your, the demand for your product and I hate to use that word because education is not necessarily a product but the demand is higher than ever before we now have to figure out how to meet that demand
0: Great. Well, thank you so much for, for framing that opportunity and for being a guest today on our show, Jeff. Um, for those who are listening, I hope you've enjoyed it and that you'll stay uh, tracking along with Jeff Salingo as he continues to help us think about higher ed today. This is Kate Ebner. You've been listening to Inside Transformational Leadership. Thank you. Music.
1: Thank you for joining us this week on Inside Transformational Leadership. Please tune in for another edition with your host, Kate Ebner, next Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our programs, please visit scs.georgetown.edu forward slash ITL. We'll talk again next week.